Well, good morning, church. It is such a blessing to be here this morning as we see our little members walking to their church. And if I didn't have to preach today, I'd be at Children's Church because I love snacks and crafts. I love crafts and snacks. Not hard to entertain. Just give me a craft, give me a snack, I'm good. Well, good morning, church. I am so glad to be here. And for those who didn't know, I was gone for the last 15 days, uh, beginning a wonderful milestone in my life. <clears throat> and I want to want to thank our church and this church family for praying for me. So last week, I began my doctoral program at Seattle University. And it was an absolute, absolute answer to prayer. Um, and God just opened the doors so much, even to the point where there was a special endowment to where at least my first third of my program has been paid for. So we ought to give God the praise for that. And so it's, it's been a wonderful experience. A lot of things I did not expect. Uh, if, if I could just tell you my story one day, just about... Uh, there was a point in my life I never even imagined going to school. I never even imagined going to college and uh, really even thought I would finish high school the way I was going. But I do have to give a shout out to Christian education. I got to give a shout out to that, uh, which, which rescued me and restored me and gave hope to me. And uh, even throughout my, my experience and my journey, it, I haven't been uh, just always, the, I haven't been the top of the class, but behind me, if you know, C's get degrees. Somebody ought to say amen. C's get degrees. They do. C's get degrees. Any of my C average students here? Okay. All you perfect A students, you guys can go run away somewhere. Um, but God is good. And, and, and there's days that uh, I, I didn't know uh, if I would ever really, truly uh, be able to, to, to live in the academic world. And it was it's really because I really have to thank my education at Walla Walla University. I'm not plugging. Nobody's paying for me to say any of this. But I just want to thank God for that. And, and really, you know, degrees don't really matter uh, as much as what you do in the world and how you pursue what God has, who God has created you to be and how you live. Because some of you have got advanced degrees and a whole bunch of stuff. Come on, let's say amen. Some of you mothers got PhDs in that, right? And a lot of you have sacrificed for your children and for other people. And each time you give or each time you sacrifice for someone else, you are a part of this. So, so we are going to be earning this degree together and, uh, in this four-year journey, and I'm really excited about it. And so I'm excited to bring, to continue in the, in the series that Pastor has been teaching us on being contagious. And uh, I think it's been great. Have you been enjoying that? If you're here for the first time, you can go to our podcast, you can go to our website, you can find out, and I encourage you to go back and follow um, Pastor Menente's series on this, and I'm just going to jump into part of it, and I'll definitely, if you're here for the first time today, you definitely want to come back and make sure you hear him preach. And so today, I want to talk about winning the night, winning the night, and I just want to reference, uh, if you have your iPhones or whatever you use, uh, we're going to look at this, this passage of scripture in Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 2, and I'll give you some context on what that is in just a second. But I just really want to read one verse before uh, we really get into it, and that's going to be Nehemiah chapter 2. It's in the Old Testament. Uh, it's kind of before all the big books. 
If you can find Psalms, you've gone too far, just go back a little bit, and you can find Nehemiah chapter 2. And I want to read at verse, what did I want to read? I wanted to read verse, I know what I wanted to read. I want to read verse 11, beginning the first two verses, verse 11 and 12. Part of 12, part A. Here's what it says. So I arrived in Jerusalem. Three days later, I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God put in my heart for Jerusalem. We have a little tradition when I preach here, so I need you to help me out. If you look to someone next to you, that would be your neighbor. So look to your neighbor. Somebody's already ready. Look at your neighbor. Look him right in the face. If it's a neighbor you came with that you live with, you're married to, you can give him a quick little kiss. I won't tell anybody. Look at him right in the face. And say, neighbor. Oh, neighbor. It's time to win the night. Now, somebody didn't have a neighbor. I know a lot of people didn't come to church. You know, they're just full of sin and just disobedient. No, I'm just playing. It's summer. Look at somebody else on the other side. They didn't have a neighbor or something. Just tell them, neighbor. Oh, neighbor. It's time to win the night. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for what you're calling us to be, and that's contagious, to be, to catch fire, to let people know who you are and who you've created us to be. So we bless you as we go through this study and this sermon today. May we leave here blessed, encouraged, and inspired, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want to give you a quick little quiz for those who are 80s babies. Any 80s babies or you live through the 80s? So I spent a lot of time at home in the 80s. Uh, I lived, my mom worked, it was just me and my mom, and I'd be home, one of those latchkey kids, and what I did was I, my babysitter, my, my, my confidant, my best friend in those days was my television. Can you tell I grew up watching TV? I'm just saying. <laughs> I grew up watching a lot of TV, but I liked watching shows for the, you know, back in the day when you had a show, you'd have a theme song, right? We had a theme song. And so I, I, want, I was going to put up some, some sitcom pictures to see if you knew what they were. But I think I'll make it a little challenging today. I'm going to try my best to sing part of the theme song, and I want to know if you know what it is. Okay? Who's on, who's on the challenge with that? Who thinks they can do pretty well with this? All right. So I'm going to start with the first one. When you know what it is, I want you to shout it out. Okay, this is just a part of the theme song. Ready? What will we do, baby, without us? Yeah, that was good. Okay, here we go, the second one. Now the world won't move to the beat of just one drum. That's all I'm going to give you. You got to know that one. Different strokes. Man, where's the 80s babies at? Okay, okay. Um, let's see. What was my other one? Oh, oh, uh, oh man, I should have I wrote them all down. I had a whole bunch of them. Okay. Well, we're moving on up. That's the Jeffersons. Easy, right? Now, I have to do this fake little trumpet, but this might be a hard one. This is only the medley line in this theme song. Da, 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 
That's Madlock. Oh, man, you guys are good. Okay, I think I had one more. What was the other one I wanted to do? Uh, I forgot what the other one was. You know, sometimes I don't write everything down because I think it's just so much fun, right? Well, I, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll sing some songs the, another day. But there was one show that, strangely enough, I liked the most. One sitcom that I loved the most. And it was In the Heat of the Night. Anybody ever seen this show? You'll see a picture of it in a second. In the Heat of the Night. Now, it was... It was interesting for me because I never really spent a lot of time in the South. I know we got a lot of people here from the South. But there was something special about this show. I thought it was really cool. Um, well, I forgot the other one. I was, here's the other one I was going to do. You guys know this one. Just some good old boys. Ah, that's my, that was my show, by the way. One too many brothers on that show, but it was okay. I love Dukes of Hazzard. And it wasn't because of Daisy either. So... Forget that. All right, anyway, somebody catch it later. So In the Heat of the Night was one of my favorite shows. I loved the drama. I loved those cop shows, you know, uh, Hill Street Blues and some of those other shows. I loved the cop shows, and I loved the way they did it because as a kid, I could kind of sense, you know, what they were fighting against. I could kind of sense the kind of the racial tensions and tones and how they would kind of solve the crimes. And I just love Southern Charm and Yes Ma'am and No Man. I loved the, the Southern accents of that show. But if those of you who watch this show know that this was actually a take on a groundbreaking movie that was released in 1967. How many of you know about this movie that the TV show is, is, um, was birthed from? In the Heat of the Night was a film released in 1967, and it happened to star my, one of my favorite actors. I love Sidney Poitier. Anybody ever like know who Sidney Poitier is? Oh, it's right. Next slide. Uh, Sidney Poitier. And one of my favorite actors. And this was a very controversial uh, movie because... And uh, you'll see it here in a second the, of, the, of a scene in this movie. If you've ever seen In the Heat of the Night, there's a very controversial scene in the, in the movie. And it is a scene where uh, Sidney Portnay, the police officer who is investigating this crime, comes and meets this gentleman who, let's just say, is living in a very, very racist world in his mind. And so when him and the other uh, senior officer who's white comes in there and they all, they know each other, at least the officer does, and Sidney Poitier, the character, begins to talk to this gentleman and he gets upset and he doesn't like the way uh, this kind of, you know, man is presenting himself, this police officer, Sidney Poitier, and go to the next slide. He doesn't like that and so he slaps the officer. Anybody ever seen this movie? Never seen this movie. He slaps him. But what was incredible was the next scene where Sidney Poitier slaps him back. That's the scene right there. And it's called the slap heard all over the world. It was groundbreaking. It was unbelievable. In fact, there were two uh, groundbreaking things that Sidney Poitier, Sidney Poitier did as an actor. One was he had the first interracial kiss on film as an actor. And this was the first time uh, this type of scene had been seen where he slaps him back and remains completely dignified in the moment. 
Very groundbreaking. And let I remind you, I'm going to put this date up here. This was 1967. How many of you remember 1967? How many remember what it was like in 1967? Not all of you know or know what that was like. I don't know what that was like, but I've heard stories of what it was like. In 1967 was a time period of resistance. It was kind of this, this epic climax of resistance, resistance to a lot of things, a resistance in racial equality, in the civil rights movement, the Vietnam War, a lots of different things were coming together in 1967. And one of my heroes uh, was kind of coming towards uh, an unfortunate end of his leadership, and that was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And right about 1967, he was facing a lot of opposition. He was facing opposition because of his stand on the Vietnam War. Some of you guys remember that. And because of his stand, he took a, a different stand. And in a lot of ways, he went against many of those who were allies for him as he was uh, this leader, this quintessential figure of the civil rights movement. And Dr. Martin Luther King uh, Jr. had a difficult time navigating through this period in his life because of the resistance, because of what was happening. And what's interesting about Dr. King now, as you look back, when you see this movement that was occurring, you saw, and for some of you who witnessed this and lived through this, you saw how it kind of started here in this small little way as a, as a form of resistance and a kind of a feeling of this is it, the it, this is it, this is the end. We're not going to continue uh, our American values to be reflected in this way. And as the movement began, there was opposition and there was people who at some point had to get on board either one side or the other and it began to grow and it began to be contagious. Anybody remember those times? And so what's interesting in this book written by Donald T. Phillips as he reflects on the leadership of Dr. King, uh, there's a few quotes that I think is really powerful from this, uh, uh, from this book as he begins to kind of reflect on what was going on in him as a leader. What was going on in him as a leader, the decisions he had to make as he was navigating not only himself, but this, these people that were, uh, that were following him because it wasn't just civil rights. He wasn't just acting on a civil rights front. For those who know a little bit about him, it was several things, and he kind of led from this heart of justice. He kind of led from this deep sense of calling to bring equality in a lot of different areas. And so to navigate as a leader, one quote that he says here in the book is there is nothing to be afraid of if you believe and know that the cause for which you stand is right. There's nothing to be afraid of. When it comes to whatever cause you stand for, that is right. Your cause as a mother, your cause as a father, as a husband, as a, as a child who wants to honor their parent, as a believer, as us as a church. If we know that we're a part of a cause that is right, there's really nothing for us to fear. Because what the enemy loves is to have fear be contagious. And a lot of times when people are afraid, they feel vulnerable. And so they attach themselves to whoever or whatever is strong or going to bring them protection. 
It's really a very simple deception of the enemy he uses in all socio-political contexts. I can remember growing up in, a, in the inner city and, and really seeing that gang life was offering this. A lot, of, a lot of times people who participated in gangs, they weren't just trying to be devious and mischievous. They were simply trying to survive. And so they had to choose to be a part of something because they were afraid and they needed protection. A lot of people have joined movements or organizations or, or different things because they felt afraid. But what I love what he's saying as he reflects on the style that Martin Luther King led is that when you're, when you're leading something or you're part of a cause that is right, you have nothing to be afraid of. Here's another quote I thought was powerful from this book. Whenever you set out to build a temple, you must face the fact that there is a tension at the heart of the universe between good and evil. Some of us from an Adventist background would understand this, this concept very well, this idea of the great controversy, this idea of this conflict between good and evil. And it's interesting, it's not a Christian book by any ways, it not, has nothing to do with that, but they recognize the fact that when you're trying to build something, there is a tension between good and evil. And I think it's interesting as we as believers and churchgoers and people who are following God, that God calls us to build something. And God really calls us to build a temple. In fact, the Bible talks about that God doesn't really build temples anymore with bricks and mortar. What does he do? He builds temples in us. That we are his dwelling places. We are the places, places where God's spirit wants to dwell. He wants to live inside of us, dwell in us, make his home in us. And that's difficult. It's difficult to live that way in the tension of an evil world. In the tension of both evil and good. It's difficult to live as a temple for God in a world that doesn't always celebrate that. Doesn't always see that as the model of how a person should live. Here's the last one I thought was really interesting as it was inspiring to the passage that we are looking at today. Here's what the other a quote from the book. Your job is too great and the days are too bright to be bickering in the darkness of jealousy. These are leadership lessons that he's pulling from Dr. King. Demanding competition and internal ego struggles. And that seems like a pretty heavy text or heavy quote, right? Like, what does that mean? Well, uh, we have a job to do, not only as people, but as a church, as a movement. And, and what he's saying is that the days that are ahead or the days that will come as a result of your work are too bright for you to be dwelling in the darkness of jealousy. Now, you're probably thinking, now, wait a minute. Now, what does that have to do with me? I mean, I'm not Dr. King. I'm not leaving the movement. But actually, you are. Because God has called you and positioned you in a very unique place. You, are, you have been put in a context that nobody else lives in. Your circle of friends, your network, your background, where you grew up, what you like, what you were, you know, people that are gravitated to you and, and the, the magnetic quality of your character that people are attracted to. And God has designed that for you to help people. Because there's some people that I'm never going to reach. There's some people a podcast is never going to reach, but you're going to reach. 
you're going to be a blessing to them. You're going to be a benefit to them. And so what God has called all of us to is to a work. You may not think it's great, but it's great in the life of a person. You may not think that getting the crayons and the crafts and things like that and setting up this thing for this child who's going to do this and move on or anytime you work the extra hours to buy those toys and to make that special offering or do something special, you may not think that's doing something big, but it actually is. It's actually building someone else up. And so to, to know that what God has called you to do is great in God's eyes what, what I love about this quote is that the future and the world ahead of you is too bright for you to stay in a season of darkness and compare yourself or compare yourself to anybody else or your church or anything or your family to anybody else. And so, like, your ego sometimes will cause you to not do what you really should do. Let me put it this way. Sometimes it feels so dark that maybe you don't feel like you could actually create any change. Now you feel like, well, I could do this if. I might be able to make a difference if I had this. If I was younger, if I was older, if I had more money, if I didn't have as much money as I had. Maybe I could make a difference. Maybe I could do something special if, 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 if. What I want to present to you today as we are in this series of cont uh, called Contagious, I want to, to really uh, encourage you to, to be contagious in your sense of compassion and your sense of calling, to really be fire, for people to catch fire when they're around you because you are living for something bigger than yourself. You are living for the day and the night. Now I want to take you back to our text our passage of scripture here in Nehemiah chapter 2. And I want to start at verse 11, and I want us to read that or follow along with me. So here's the context. Nehemiah is working for another kingdom. He's actually like literally working in the White House of another country. And this is after this time of exile where God had God's people exiled for a certain amount of time, and he promised he would bring them back. So this is in that transition back to Jerusalem, and Nehemiah has a great job working in the White House, working with a very high, uh, in a high position, and so he hears in chapter one, he gets a report, hey, how are things going over there? His friends say, hey, it's not going really good, actually, the people are really struggling, and he in, in chapter one really struggles with this and what to do, and he feels called to a mission, and he feels that he should do something. And so he builds up this courage, he prays, he wakes about five months, he talks to the king, the king's like, let's do it. He says, can I go back, can I help? He says, yes. And so he is beginning to go back to Jerusalem to help rebuild his home country that he's probably never seen or never lived in, but his people are going back to. And so here we begin at verse 11, where he actually comes to the town. So I arrived in Jerusalem. Good. Easy to read, right? He arrives in Jerusalem. But let's not skip over this part. He says three, says three days later. I don't want to skip over that. Because he shows up after much preparation, much prayer. He shows up and he doesn't just walk in guns blazing, right? He doesn't walk in, 
I am Nehemiah, and I have come to save the day. He doesn't do that. He hangs around for three days. He just catches up with people maybe he knew, extended family. Keeps it quiet. What are you doing here, Nehemiah? I'm just on vacation. I'm just just hanging out. Now look what happens. So three days later, he begins to explain, I slipped out during the night, taking only a few others with me. I had not told anyone about the plans God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. We took no pack animals with us except the donkey I was riding in. After dark, I went out through the valley gate, past the jackal's well, and over the dung gate to inspect the broken walls and burn gates. Then I went to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but my donkey couldn't get through the rubble. So, though it was still dark, I went up to the Kidron Valley instead, expecting the wall before I turned back and entered again at the valley gate. The city officials did not know I had been out there or what I was doing, for I had not yet said anything to anyone about my plans. I had not yet spoken to the Jewish leaders, the priests, the nobles, the officials, or anyone else in the administration. But now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king. They replied at once, yes, let's build the wall. So they began the good work. Did you see a common theme in that passage? I tried to read it to give you some emphasis, but did you hear it? Nehemiah is doing his work at night. He goes out at night. He goes out when it's dark. He hits obstacles, and he keeps on going, and nobody knows what he's doing. So not only is he literally in the dark, but others are in the dark about what he's doing. Nehemiah plans what he's going to do, the plan he's going to execute in the dark. This is why this is significant. Because some of us, the decision to go forward or the decision to follow God or the decision to be better is not made in the light. It's made in the dark. And before you can enjoy the night, the day, you've got to do some work in the night. Ladies and gentlemen, sisters and brothers, we are living, that sounded pretty, like I was going to do a good speech, huh? Ladies and gentlemen, sisters and brothers, pretty official. Chris kind of sat up in his seat right there. <laughs> I just want to take a pop quiz. Does anybody happen to think we might be living in the dark? I'm just, I mean, you, it might be great for you, I mean, personally, but if we look around, is there any indication that we are living in 
the dark. You can describe it in a bunch of different ways. There's a darkness that we are living in. And what's interesting is God calls us to be light, but he calls us to be light in the darkness. And so as we believe in the world that's going to come and the second coming of Jesus and the great hope that we have, we can't even experience that unless we make a decision in the dark. See, sometimes we think, you know what, if I made more money, this problem would be fixed. If I just had a better job, no problem. If we had a bigger church, we'd have more volunteers. If I had this, if I had this, if this hadn't happened to me, if I would have had this opportunity and we could go through all the list. But isn't it interesting that sometimes all we need to do is to make a decision while it's dark for what we want in the light. And could it be that people are looking for hope? They're looking for someone who has something to look forward to, who has a passion, who has a mission, who has something that they're living for that would be contagious so that they could say, maybe I want to join them or maybe there's hope for me because this individual is living with compassion and living with purpose because they're looking forward to something that we can't see right now. As I live and work and serve you as a pastor here, there's a lot of things I see that I'm pushing for. You know, there's a lot of reports and there's a lot of studies about who's not in the church and who's leaving the church and, and, the, and the, really the demographics of the church. And I can look around the room and you can look around the room and you can look in this very room. We're all seated in different backgrounds, different perspectives, different places, different income brackets, but we have one thing in common. And Jesus brings us together and this room defies what the world says the darkness of the world is defied in the church I know somebody ought to say amen let me let me say it this way the darkness and the lie of the world is defied by the Richland Seventh-day Adventist Church and so I love this because to be contagious means that there's a fire on you like people catch fire when they're around you there's something that when they're with you, they're no longer the same. They're just different because you have something inside of you, a hope that Jesus gives us that gives you courage and gives you strength. So let me just give you something real practical because I believe that we all have a Nehemiah mission. We all have something that God has called us to do, to restore, to rebuild. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your, your career. Maybe there's some people in your life that you want to bring redemption to. You're going to say, you know what? This stops today in my family. No longer is this generational mistake or this generational practice going to keep repeating itself. I'm going to make a decision today to end this. Maybe you're saying, you know what? I'm not going to be a slave to fear. 
I'm going to live in the freedom that Jesus gives me. I'm going to live with purpose. I'm going to live with the Holy Spirit in my life. Maybe some of you say, you know what? I'm not going to be this kind of surface Christian, kind of playing it safe, just kind of walking in and walking out. I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of what happens here at the church every single week. I want to do it, and I want to do it in the dark. I want to be strategic about it. I want to make sure my heart is right. I want to make sure I'm focused. I want to make sure I give my best. And so I've got some, I got some tips to tell you. I'm going to give you a few tips to help you because as we leave church, most of us have to go back to the dark, right? That's what we live in. We don't need to be afraid of it, but we need to understand that what we're living for and what, who we're living for. So I want to give you just three little quick things, then we're going to pray and we're going to leave, and you, we all got to go back to the dark. But we got to go back to the dark with Jesus. So here's, here's the first one. People don't ne- always need to know what you are doing. How are we going to be contagious? How, how are we going to do this right? Well, people don't always need to know what we're doing. Now that sounds kind of a little strange to say, right? Aren't we supposed to be the light? Aren't we supposed to share God's love? Yes, we are. But they don't always need to know what we're doing. Where does Pastor stand when he makes those points? Is it right here? Because this is his I was thinking spot. I'm going to take his spot for a second here. Pastor, I hope you don't mind. This is a very, I mean, you could preach this for a week. For anybody on social media. Just left the house, going on vacation for 10 days, going to have a great time. Like, really? <laughs> Just put that on Facebook, man. Like, we, people don't always need to know what you're doing. And it's not just a bad thing. Like, when we serve people or we do a surprise or we pay for the person's meal in front of us or we do a kind gesture and they say, wow, that was really nice. Why did you do that? Oh, because I'm trying to get you to come to my church. No, 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 no. You don't always have to tell people what you're doing. And I love what Nehemiah does. Nehemiah shows up. He hangs out. And he says, this thing inside of me is deep. It's important. And I'm going to take my time, and I'm going to go out, and I'm going to figure out how to solve this problem. We don't always have to tell people what we are doing. Sometimes we can just be loving and compassionate. Sometimes we can just let people go. We don't need any credit. We don't need to be on TV. We don't need to be recognized for it. We don't have to put it on Facebook. We, all we can do is just live in the fact that we're living to what Jesus has called us to do. And some people would be surprised at why you love them and why you care for them and why you're doing it. Sometimes people don't always need to know what you're doing. You just do it. You just live it out. Because what's, what's important is not so much people knowing what you're doing, but people know why you're doing it. And when the opportunity says, why are you doing this? You know what? I love people. I love people because you know what? God loved me when nobody else would love me. Here's another one. Begin the good work. Now, that's at the very last text that we we kind of talked about what happened he goes out he kind of measures everything he looks 
he sees, and then as he comes back, he gives this report. We saw that, and he begins to talk to the people, and he tells them where we at. Verse 18, he says, he talks to the leaders and the officials. He says, hey, look, everything's messed up. It's bad. Everything's been burned. Let's rebuild the wall. He says, this is what this is about. He makes the pitch. Let's do this. Let's build our nation back up. Then I told them about the gracious hand of God that had been on me and about my conversation with the king. So he begins to tell them, hey, God's with me on this, right? I've talked to God about this. I've actually talked to the king. Because remember, if he would have just came in and showed up and said, I'm Nehemiah. I just came from the king. I got an endless bank account and I, got, I can do whatever I want to do. You guys need to follow me. What would happen to his leadership? He would instantly insert himself, right, as a leader in a political way because he's got all the resources, he's got all the authority, and here's this broken little people, you know, trying to make things right, and he shows up with the, with the checkbook like, hey, I'm going to run the show, but he doesn't do that. He comes in, he doesn't tell them what he has, he doesn't tell them the resources he has, he just simply says, hey, you guys see what's going on, why don't we rebuild the wall? So what they rebuild the, the wall that they needed to set up their security. So he says, well, hey, they say, great, what a great idea. Let's do it. And so they take ownership, right, of it, and they naturally select him as the leader. So he asks me, he tells them where we're at, verse, uh, verse 18. Then they reply, yes, let's rebuild the wall. Here's what I like. So they began the good work. Now, we can preach this for a long time. Here, here's, here's a really difficult thing to do. You ready for this? Begin. So I was going to Planet Fitness. I was all in, right? I live in Pasco. I'm all in, right? I'm going, I'm, grind, I'm, I'm hitting every night. I'm in the gym for at least, I mean, at least three days. I'm just telling you, I was all in, right? I was at Planet Fitness Three days straight. I was killing it. $10 a month? Are you kidding me? Easy. Piece of cake. All of you probably belong to Planet Fitness. I showed up, and I know I'm turning into a baby because, like, I used to live in Seattle, and 10-mile drive is, like, an hour and a half maybe, right? On a good day. In the, in, the, in the express lane, maybe an hour and a half. You know, you live here long enough, you're like, man, do I got to go all the way to Kennewick? Do I got to get on the freeway, where, 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 right? So, so I started going, and I started, man, you know, some kind of interrupted my schedule. And we were going late, me and my wife. And so then I find out, well, they're building a Planet Fitness in Pasco. I said, hallelujah. I said, praise, you know, I, I was talking all kind of trash. You know, I'm going to go there two, three times a day, right? Like, it ain't nothing. We go in there, put up 250, come back home. Easy. I'll go there. I'll do arms in the morning, legs at night. Piece of cake. Cardio for lunch all day long. So I was like, when is it going to open? Because I thought it was open. It's like, no, it's going to open August 1st. I'm like, August 1st. When August 1st comes around, I'm going to begin. Now, that's what I tell myself, right? <laughs> now, I have this big old long agreement with myself saying, August 1st, going back to Planet Fitness, I'm all in. Now, I'm not going to be too hard on myself, but here's the deal. Sometimes we just need to 
I really got to talk to you about something, something important in my heart. And you try to set up the conversation, and, you, and it just doesn't work, and it just doesn't come out. I really should do this. I know this is the best thing I could do, but I just don't begin. You could preach that all day. There's something about just beginning and a part of being contagious and a part of doing your work in the night simply says, we're going to begin this. We're going to get started. Now, he showed up with papers. He showed up with ideas. He showed up with a checkbook, but he didn't show up with any supplies. It wasn't like he had a couple 18-wheelers out there. All right, everything's here. I just bought a Home Depot. Home Depot's here. It wasn't like everything was there. What they had to do was, let's start with looking what we do have. Let's look at what we do have. And sometimes, just beginning the work is a place to start. Is that helpful? Don't, 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 don't worry about it being perfect. Don't worry about having the perfect plan. Sometimes you just need to begin. There might be a neighbor you need to talk to. Sometimes you just need to just say, hi. Sometimes it just starts at the beginning. Well, you know what? I really wish my kids were more respectful in the restaurant. Just begin. I really wish we had more time with God. I really wish we could just start it. Hey, five minutes, ten minutes. Let's just get started. Here's the last thing I want to share as we close this today. And this is the title of my sermon. I love in this chapter how Nehemiah includes all of the obstacles he has. All the obstacles he has. He says, hey, I, I didn't bring everything I had. I only brought a few people with me. There were some difficult times. My donkey couldn't get up on this place, so I went around. And he's kind of really giving us the details of the conflict and the obstacles that he had. But here's what's powerful about it. The walls were broken down. The city was in disarray. It was a hot mess. He was able to navigate it at night. Right? And he worked, and it's obvious the same things he could have saw in the daytime. But what he knew in his heart was, in order to get this job done, we're going to have to work both day and night. So if I can win in the dark, we can cruise in the daytime. If we can navigate in the, in the rough parts at night, we can get a whole bunch of done when there's more light for us. So Nehemiah had a strategy to win the night. I'm going to master the night. I'm not going to start with the day because sometimes if everything's going well for me and everything's great, I'll be fearful of when it's not. But if I can be calm while they're mad, I'm winning the night. If I can remain silent when they're accusing me, I'm winning the night. If I know how to pray when I sense something is wrong, I'm winning. If I can talk to my coworker, he keeps stealing my lunch. I don't know why people do that, by the way. Does that ever happen to somebody? You just steal your lunch, got to labor on it. It's crazy. I don't know why people, people just show up. What am I going to eat for lunch today? Oh, there's Jackie's lunch. I'm eating her lunch today. If I can deal with that supervisor that is going crazy or my parent or my relative, and if I can win the night, I'll be able to cruise 
in the daytime. There are some things that keep coming back to you. Some moments that keep coming back to you over and over again. You're like, man, I thought I already dealt with this. I, I already made this mistake. I already failed. And Jesus is like a coach. He's like standing with you saying, guess what? I'm with you. I, I've sent you some papers that will give you everything you need. You've got authority. You've got power. Just trust in me. We're going to come back to this, and we're going to win this in the night. We're going to get over this while you don't have everything. We're going to get in through this while everything is not going your way. We're going to win while it's dark. And I'm just excited about being a part of a church who has decided that I'm not going to hide. We're not going to run. We're not going to just be quiet. We're not just going to find a little place that we can blog out our feelings and, and tear somebody down. We're not deciding to do that as a church. What we're deciding to do is to stand and be strong and be loving and be patient and work together in the night. When parents don't have enough diapers, we bring the diapers. When people don't have a place to belong, we have a place for them to belong. When people are, don't think a church would come to them, we go to them. When people want to know how to eat healthy and live right, there are people in our community who provide a place for them to go and purchase things to help them live healthy. We decide as a church we're not going to run because there's evil. We're going to run to evil. And we're going to say, here we are. And because we are here, things got to get better. So how contagious can we be? How, how, what would it look like for you to go back? And they say, man, why aren't you worried about this? Why aren't you upset about this? Oh, I know something you don't know. See, I've done my work in the night. I got up early and I prayed. I labored all night. I wrestled with God. I told him about my issues. I told him about the things I couldn't forgive. And God was working in me. And I serve a God that can give me hope and give me a future and give me peace regardless of what is around me. And I'm just excited to know that we live in this community that believes in God. And for maybe you today, you just don't realize that God is, is not abandoning you in the night. He's not waiting for you to get it together. He's saying, your life is a wreck. I want you to invite me in the process and let me give you the tools to do something amazing. I don't know what that writer was thinking when he wrote the slap in the script. I don't know what they were thinking to put that in there in 1967. But I can guarantee you a lot of people weren't thinking to do that. That was not in their script. But what's in your script that is shocking, that is world-changing, that is ahead of the time for you to say, you know what? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And we're going to serve it, him, not from a place of fear, but a place of strength. And a place where we know that God is with us and not against us. I want to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. I just want to give someone an opportunity who just may, may need a little extra help this week, maybe even today, to say, God, I, I want to live a life that is pleasing to you. I want to live a life that people know that you are with me, but sometimes there are things that are happening in the dark that I need to overcome.
There are things that keep me from being strong or keep me from being vocal about who you are in my life. And I pray today, Lord, that you would give us victory, that you would come into our lives. And so I want to pray for some people today who may be making a decision, even for the first time, to say, Lord, I want you to be with me. I want you to help me win the night. So, Father, we pray for today for our loved ones, our family, all of us in this room or listening to this on our podcast, that, Lord, that you would remind us how powerful and how strong you are and that we have always have hope and we always have light because you are with us and so we pray today that we will receive the light that you have for us that we would invite you into our heart and into our mind that we might live for you and that we might become contagious that others might see the joy and the hope that we have and say I want what they have in these summer months in these days of lots of light and lots of warmth. May we live with the presence of Jesus in our heart and in our mind. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you don't mind, let's give God praise for somebody who might just feel free, who might just got set free, who may have just found new hope and new strength. Can we just give God praise for someone's life who has been changed today?